Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cop On Podcast. Welcome back, or welcome if it's your first time. Absolutely wonderful to have you with us. This is an extra special episode because we don't want to talk about the current state of Liverpool Football Club. We're pretty rubbish, pretty mediocre. We're going through a lean spell, but let's uh, keep faith in the in the boss and the gaffer. We'll turn it around. We just need to be patient. So ignoring the current situation, let's look back at history. And I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Peter Kenny Jones, football historian who's written an absolutely fabulous book. Believe me, I've read it. It's super um, about all of the different players who have played for both Everton and Liverpool. Peter Kenny Jones, welcome back to Cop On Podcast. Brilliant to have you with us. Um, the obvious question is the one I'm going to lead with is, where did you get the idea to to write this book? Yeah, well, yeah, first of all, thanks for having me back on. Um, yeah, nice to see you again. And um, yeah, so obviously I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan, which maybe you don't want to admit too much when you've written this book, because I think that's already put half the audience on the back foot. But basically my family's just like every other family in Liverpool and it's, it's split red and blue. And I had a lot of family who were blues who did support me for the first book, but there was a few who, no matter how much they liked me, they couldn't really bring themselves to um, purchasing the book. And most of <laughs> my last one was about Billy Little, so it was it was quite solely Liverpool. And just, maybe just in, in terms of thinking, how can I reach a bigger audience, but also, you know, make sure I'm still <laughs> in a non-big-headed way in like, my area of expertise, as I've... I've done quite a lot of stuff about Merseyside football history when I was in uni studying it since I've left and whatever, really. So I just thought I'd look at that. And obviously it was always interesting for me how the rivalries changed over the years. Like it was it's really, it started with a big split and a big argument, went on to be a lot more friendly. And really from looking at it, it's only a very recent thing that think the, the, the moods between both clubs has soured. So it was a good way of trying to mark when the clubs were friendly, when they're not why they were friendly, why they're not. And then obviously I just thought every single player is as interesting as the last. And it would have been easy for me to say, oh, right, I'll just go World War II and, and onwards. But I thought every single player deserved to have their story told, really. So that's what I went for. So it's literally from 1892 up to Conor Cody today, the history of both clubs told by the people who have played for both clubs. And it's a lot more than that, I would like to say as well, because it's, as you say, it's the history of the relationship between the clubs and uh, you also get a bit of social history in there and all that. I mean, as someone, I mean, as you said, uh, I, I found a biography of you online. I've been stalking you, Peter. And it said that you did uh, you did um, like an MA in, in something related to football history, although I can't remember now. What, what was your what was your university experience? What was that? Yeah, so I did I did history at uni. So obviously just did normal history all the way through. And then when I got to my dissertation for just my my normal um, my, my bachelor's degree, yeah, uh, they just said I could I could do whatever I wanted. So I kind of jokingly said, "Ah, oh, even footy," and they were like, "Yeah, if, you, if you've got a good enough story to tell." So I was like, oh, "Great!" So I did the interwar periods. Why people were still going the match when they had no money, basically for Liverpool and Everton and looking how what they were spending money on, like entertainment wise, but as I was saying, when they basically they're basically they're absolutely skinned and why why football was still important. And then I stayed on, did my masters and basically the same again happened. They said, What do you want to do? And I went for uh, Bill Shankly and Harry Catterick and that period of where obviously Liverpool went from second division club to challenging for all the, the biggest trophies and Everton became the Mersey millionaires and started winning a lot of trophies and then maybe just how like for me personally coming totally outside born in 1994 long time after both of these men were managing i'd never even heard of harry catholic obviously i got to know him a lot better when i was researching it but then his record pretty much does stand up with bill shankley silverware wise so why is he not as well known and not held like a figurehead so i did that and then that that's basically where my writing started from having that dissertation and splitting it up but yeah so i've always tried to look at merseyside football rather than just liverpool although i am Obviously, Liverpool fan. I've always found interesting looking at the whole the city as a whole. I mean, it's brilliant. I've got so many questions about so many things, but it, but in this, I mean, it's it's really fascinating. Like how they, I mean, because if if you want a good story, I mean, this is why lots of people follow football anyway. Is 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 the narrative aspect of it? The, you know, the fact that it's a const, constantly evolving and 
incredibly complex. You know, the more you look into into the history of football and, and how it mirrors society, et cetera, et cetera. But when you were writing this book specifically as someone with with, uh, you know, such a such a background in, in doing a lot of research in, into both clubs, what did you learn specifically about them from or what are the some of the things or a couple of the things that you learned from writing this book specifically? I am. Um... I pro- the main first thing I probably learned was I don't really like John Holden, <laughs> which obviously sounded a bit mad. One you just you expect he started both clubs and you should probably well he didn't restart really Everton he got involved with Everton but he he's such a big figurehead in the city and I looking at it through red tinted glasses before I did this obviously I, this book isn't written through red tinted glasses but just from an outside perspective you've always just thought oh, well, he started everything he must have been a nice bloke but like he was really uh, really trying to hammer home to every time that Liverpool played Everton that they had to win. This was about him against Everton more than Liverpool against Everton. And like they had, they had the first derby and it was the Liverpool Senior Cup and he had a plan. The, the game was played on, on Hawthorne Road in Bootle and he had a plan to get a horse-drawn carriage to parade the trophy all the way from, from Bootle into Anfield and to show the trophy to everyone. It wasn't going to be the team carrying it, it'd be him. And he had such a, a big opinion on of himself really kicked off the first ever game and he wanted to make sure that people knew that Everton had, had wronged him and it was up to him this this new club Liverpool where we're going to prove that they were wrong to let him go and you know you, history may speak for itself and maybe he, he has been proven right in the long term but I think that was something interesting and then like I always find that like, people might be interested to read about Conor Cody's move and, and Rafa Benitez who, who uh, fortunately did the forward for me but I find it just as interesting to do that that player in nineteen twenty who played one time for both clubs and because I think those type of people their stories are going to get forgotten in time that they're not going to be remembered and I think it's important because every single person on this list, as I say, is is as important as the last. So it was interesting for me just to learn brand new people that go on right chapter whatever it is. Let's have a look at Arthur Betty. Say for example, I had no idea who he was and he probably turned out to have one of the most interesting stories of anyone I wrote. So. Hopefully you come into this thinking, oh yeah, I know some of these people. Maybe you don't think there's, you know all thirty-four, but then you look at it and go, you know what? Some of these stories I didn't know are probably more interesting than the likes of Peter Beardsley, Gary Ablett, Connor Cody, the Barbie, the people that everyone know. There's a lot more interesting stories, which hopefully, <laughs> if you have a read, you'll agree with. I do agree with that absolutely. I mean, I, I'm I'm going to completely admit I only. You know, I only knew the obvious ones from my lifetime, really. I mean, um, well, David Johnson played for both clubs before uh, I was born, really, um, or before I can remember. And um, so I can't, you know, I mean, he, but he was one who obviously knew. Um, we'll talk about him maybe in a bit as well. But looking through the list, for example, I've got in front of me from, from the 1800s, Andrew Hanna, Tom Willie. Duncan McLean, Patrick Gordon, John Whitehead, Fred Geary and Abe Hartley, for example, those are the players just from the 1800s who, who switched between uh, between the two clubs, um, albeit directly or indirectly. But, you know, I found them fascinating and there's something more satisfying as a reader to um, to, to evoke when you're evoking the past through through writing about these things. You, you have to use your imagination and you have to, uh, I can't remember which player it was, maybe it was it was in the, in the 1900s or, or the 1800s, the substitute goalkeeper who had a rolled up cigarette behind his ear. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, you tested me. I think it was John Whitehead, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably right, right? John Whitehead. And so he used to keep this rolled up cigarette behind his ear for the first half and then smoke it at half time. I mean, as a substitute keeper, that's what I want Kelleher to do. You know, he needs to learn from the past. Um, but uh, no, I don't. I don't condone smoking. Uh, um, but anyway, uh, it, it was, it, you know, you said you, you indicated it was like, equally satisfying for you to learn about these things but in terms of evoking the past and you know putting these details in how did you find them how did you do all that research how did you how did you find out about this these details um yeah, i just made it all up <laughs> <laughs> no yeah why not yeah i just obviously there's, there's lots of good sites like 
LFC history, I think, is I think most Liverpool fans, if they don't know about it, should know about it. And it's probably one of the most underrated things on the internet altogether, never mind just as a Liverpool fan, because the information you get from that's amazing. And on my last book, like writing about Billy Liddell, I was fortunate enough to speak to his sister and she had loads of like clippings from the war about games that they didn't have any record of. So it was good for me to be able to send them over with stuff that wow. they didn't have and information. But that's how deep into it they go. They've got games that aren't even on the records where they've got the squads and that's how Obviously, that was good, but just the Liverpool side. And then there's the Everton Heritage Society, I think it is. They got the minutes published from like every meeting up to like 1950, 1960 from the start of the club. And it it takes a long time to go through. Like you literally just put the surname of one man in, it comes up with hundreds of 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 like times they've they've been brought up in the in the minutes and like most of them are just the team for this week is that but you've got to go through one by one and just try and find interesting points that can come up and then searching back off them got lots of books on the history of both clubs and just basically I'd start broadly with you know they've got every player to ever play for Liverpool books and every player to ever play for Everton there'd be a paragraph on these people from the eighteen hundreds just try and build off that whatever they said and try and research it and make the story bigger basically and like Fred Geary was one of them from the eighteen hundreds who top goal scorer for Everton and his record still stands today as one of their best finishes and they were fuming with him because he was working in a pub owned by John Holden and they were trying to convince him not to not to carry on working there because he was working for the enemy and just stuff like that like you look at his record and you think oh you start comparing him to like his goal scoring feats of the best Everton have ever had but then you, you to have that juxtaposition of then oh he's collecting glasses in a pub in Anfield <laughs> on a Tuesday night it's like oh it just it's really jarring in your head to just think that you're judging them alongside what you see and watch today but then they're even more like just the normal people like you and i just having a normal job but also playing in front of hundreds of thousands of people scoring goals and still making these memories so yeah it was just as i say it was it was exciting for me to learn new stuff about about pretty much every single one of these players but obviously the further back you go the, the more of a blank canvas i had to work from at the start but yeah, hopefully, as you say, evoking the past is it's always something I like to do. And as I touched on before, it's it's always I just feel like a lot of these stories will get lost in time. And as more and more people get more and more bothered about what's going on right now, I think it's just important sometimes to just remember where this city, both these clubs, came from and these these men. Yeah, uh, yeah, totally, uh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's so funny. I loved Fred Geary's one. Uh, it's it's just such a brilliant story. I mean, it's. It's got uh, you know a lot of success, and then by the time he came to Liverpool, it was a lot less. He was eighty-five goals and a hundred games, if my memory serves me correctly, for Everton, and just uh, he was like a one-in-three striker for Liverpool, sort of in about forty-five games over three years. He was a bit crocked by the time he played for Liverpool. Probably all that boozing down the pub, but I mean, you know, can you imagine? You know, Liverpool beat someone at Anfield and then you go for a pint at the Crown and Thistle and Darwin's there. What can I get you, sir? That kind of thing. Absolute <laughs> madness. It's terrific. Um, um, I loved uh, Andrew Hanna as well. I mean, he came from a village called Renton in Scotland. He was the first one in the book. I find it really interesting as well. Um, do, do you, can you tell the listeners about Renton? Yeah, well, again, something I wasn't fully aware of, and you, you start researching them, and it comes up the best team in the world, and you're like, well, I've missed these, and obviously, yeah, the, sto- the story from them is that they, basically there was no, like, obviously, competitions, competing sides from different countries, but they like that, the famous Preston Invincibles, they beat them, they beat West Brom, and, and that made them the champions of the world, according to <laughs> the organisers of the game, but though, at the time, England and Scotland definitely had the most competitive leagues going so it, it wasn't really a bad shout to say um yet they they offered up i think it's four of the players who who played for both clubs started their careers with renton or at least played for them at one point and you know the, it takes a good four or five players into the book before we actually get a scout so they're all scottish people who have played for both and i think that's also something important to know obviously as Liverpool fans who, who are listening to this, you probably will be aware of the team of Max that started all the history of, of the club and it was a fully Scottish side. But it, just looking at this again, it's it's easy to forget how far back it goes, the, the Scottish connection. There's so many Scottish players in this book, um, especially. And with Andrew Hannett, obviously not only just the first player to play for both clubs, although obviously there was there was four former Everton players in Liverpool's first ever game, but he was down as the first one in the book. And he obviously captained both teams as well. So it wasn't like he was just a mid-part player. He, he was highly influential. And 
even more so on these Renton players. The Scotland would turn the back on them <laughs> whenever they came to England. They never got another international fixture, any of them. They, they basically had to give up their Scottish career to come and play for Liverpool and or Everton. So it was a big decision for them. Renton, again, went even more interesting because they were fiddling the books and putting through. Um, they, they were overpaying players when they, they weren't allowed to because there were salary caps and they were saying it was like chicken feeds, what they were paying and fixing the books. But actually, they were just basically doubling the wages of all the players and... No, they were getting homesick from Scotland, which you know nowadays we see it from the other side of the world. But a few miles down the motorway, now that they were homesick, they had to go home, but then they couldn't afford to play football there. So it was all interesting stuff again. But yeah, and Andrew Hannah, who was, was so interested in money that he went into a, a lion's cage and <laughs> won a bet to win a gold watch when he yeah, hang on, when he was hang there. On. But... This was am- amazing. Can you can you go through that again? What what was the story? He he had to go into a lion's cage. He made a bet with someone. What, what was it? I, I don't think he had to, but <laughs> he took it upon himself for probably <laughs> is the better way of doing it. But yeah, so he, he was not maybe not short of money, but interested in getting himself a bit more a bit more money. And he was back in Scotland, and someone basically just said, "Ah." Oh, I bet you don't want to go in that lion's cage. And it was for, for a gold watch worth five pounds. So obviously it's a, it's a lot more expensive, to, <laughs> worth a lot more today than it would have been then. That, that five pounds would have got a lot further, but still it wasn't a huge amount of money. And yes, yeah, so I basically just went in and said, yeah, fine. I'll let him stand in the lion's cage. I'm not sure how long it was for. It was about 10 minutes, but um, yeah. And he got a, he got a small wager, a gold watch. And <laughs> I said, you, you want someone who's willing to fight for, fight with the lions for your side but maybe not literally because i don't think we fancy seeing like van dyke in the lion's case today to go win himself a five but <laughs> it's a uh, yeah it just shows a totally different type of men though back then the, the files were nothing like the jobs of some of the defenders were to stop the strikers who were trying to run in and take out the keepers every time we caught the ball so they had to be made of quite staying stuff and from the sound of it, Andrew Hanna was definitely made of stand stuff. I mean, it's so good. I mean, because this is this is the you know where where the book kicks off is that you know he he, he was from this village of Renton. He had a moustache. He was five foot seven years old, and he aside from captaining both Liverpool and Everton, he worked as a shipyard detective and owned his own milk business. Tell you what, if uh, if Diogo Jota had a milk business, I would uh, definitely you know, prefer his cheese than uh, someone else's because, uh, you know, got to support the lads. I wonder if the Liverpool fans at the time had the same opinion, whether they were loyal to uh, Andy Everton fans, loyal to Andrew Hanna brand. But as we go through, I mean, you also talk about how the relationship between the club changes over the years. So, I mean, how can you, how can you talk about that? If you, you know, if the, if you say, for example, up until the the Second World War, you know, um, how did the, the the relationship change? And then after, you know, when did it become to the point where some of your family members can't even bear to look at at your work because it's red, and they only wear they never wear anything red, and it's like I don't know the Bloods and the Crips. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it it's sad, really, as you say. I'll admit, maybe in the past, I've been a bit too much <laughs> anti-Everton coming from just going the match before I obviously did stuff like this. And me misses as a bloke, which I think has helped me personally, <laughs> maybe when last season when they were trying to stay up and then you're looking at it and going, no, she's really sad. Like I'm finding it mildly amusing, but they're, they're absolutely gutted and we're in the same city and just even financially and economically looking <laughs> at the city, you it's better to have two Premier League teams than it is to have one, no matter what everyone else thinks of it. And, and the new stadium could be a massive blow for, for Everton if they're not in the Premier League. But going away from modern day, yeah, I think looking at both teams, I think there was a real rivalry right at the very beginning because of John Holden, as I touched on before, but he passed away quite quite early into the history of both clubs. And from then on, they were quite amicable, really. Like A lot of the deals at the start were mainly people going from Everton to Liverpool. And they were taking lesser offers off Liverpool because it was easier for the player and they had quite a friendly relationship with them. And that pretty much carried on the first real example of maybe a, a rivalry taking place in a decision made about the transfer was Arthur Berry, I'd say, because his his dad was involved in the first Everton and then the Liverpool board and he didn't want to go on from one club to the other because he didn't want to make it look like his, his dad's son and wasn't doing the job properly. And 
he was he's the only player to ever have transferred to both clubs on two separate occasions so he definitely flip-flapped a few times but he was the first person where there was any record that i found where there was a genuine decision to be made like is it right that i should be going to liverpool to everton am i upsetting people which was obviously interesting to say but then that was in the 1920s and it took a long time again before it came up obviously then again you've got the war and that will obviously bring the city and the country together as we saw and it's probably a lot more amicable then but i think the first one after that was was dave hickson he, he had the the big reaction because everton fans loved him and they i think they'd have had a similar reaction no matter where he went but the fact he was going to liverpool they were all gutted and liverpool fans didn't really want him because he was the everton hero as well so they were a it was a bit of a split decision for them and I think that again shows that maybe there's a rivalry there because Liverpool fans should have been happy that they were getting Everton's best player but it was they were a bit tainted by the fact he was an Everton player and obviously Everton fans were gutted because he left and even worse because he went to Liverpool but that was again something that not really came up again too much after it until you went to like Steve McMahon and, and David Johnson I think they were the start of maybe more of a rivalry when but I think that's maybe because of a different quality they saw on one side of the park to the other. So it's interesting. And again, that, that's why I went player by player, because you can't just say there wasn't this date where everyone started hating each other. But there is a bit where I go off during the, the Kevin Sheedy story where I start talking about Heysel. And I think that is something that is massive in the rivalry. And it's not really something I felt comfortable writing. <laughs> I expect some backlash of people who read it probably won't agree with me. But I, I genuinely think that's where it all started. It's Liverpool were doing well in Europe. Everton were very much on the coattails, but not in, in a derogatory way. Like they were sitting 15th in the league. They were second, third, challenging for trophies, challenging for everything. And it's fair to assume that they would have been challenging for European Cups and would have been challenging for more league titles. The ban in Europe massively affects Everton as much as it does every other club. But of course, you... you a lot of Everton fans said that the year after the ban, they were the one because Star Bucharest won the European Cup and they were better than them. And you know, you, you can't say that's right or wrong either way, but it's it's all hypothetical. But when you see Liverpool have achieved so much, Everton were right behind them, looking like they were ready to go and do the same. And then European football is taken away from them. People like Gary Lineker leave to go to Barcelona, they're losing their best players to go and play for Europe in European football. It's obviously had an effect. And I think when you see your neighbours who you're really close to winning everything and you're just short and then your team's getting worse and by the time the, the European ban ended, you know, Everton weren't in the mix for winning the league and winning the European Cup. So that it was a huge period of their history that they lost out on. And again, I tried to say that it's not necessarily the, the fault of Liverpool fans why it happened. Heysel was a whole different story, but there's books written on, on all of this and <laughs> It was, it was hard to go into it so briefly, but I felt like it was important to note. But I do think that was a, a key turning point. But then having said all this, the, the last player to directly transfer between clubs was Abel Xavier, and there was no real reaction. <laughs> there was no one was bothered. So you can say all this, and then, as I said, he was the last player to directly transfer between both clubs, and there wasn't pitchforks. But again, it, it, all, it all comes down to what each player means for each club and the what's happening at the time of each transfer so again that's why i think you have to look at each player individually but yeah it's it's a tough one to to answer shortly and sorry i went on a bit there but oh, it's, no, we have time. Really it's just uh it's it's sad for me as i said because my my uncle who um my dad's brother he's a blue we went to we went to sandon actually before the derby the other week and he's an old school fan on Merseyside where he wants Liverpool, he wants Everton to win and he wants Liverpool to come second. That's what he wants to do. And that is dying out. And I can't say personally myself that's something I believe in. But I, more doing stuff like this and researching the history of both clubs, I think it, it is sad that we've got to a point where you're wanting the other team to go down, where the, there's chance of murderers to each other, where murals are getting trashed by other club and as I said, this used to be the most unique rivalry in, in, in definitely in England, maybe wider. And now it's just like every other football rivalry. I think that's that's sad that it, that's the, the place that we've got to today. I remember when I lived in Liverpool talking to someone who um, worked, I can't remember where he worked, maybe the Adelphi Hotel, I can't remember. But he was talking about how he used to uh, go on the cop in an Everton shirt when he was younger. So that would have been probably in the 70s. He used to go on the cop in an Everton shirt and people didn't use to, you know, didn't particularly like it, but they absolutely tolerated him. And it was it was it was a lot friendlier because no one would be able to do that now. Or he, he said, but uh, um, 
I think it is sad when you know rivalries get 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 too intense. Um, there is a funny side, or you know, sometimes like some other chance. I love the David Johnson one, because um, he signed. Sit, let me get this right, because what I learned from the book was that he he was sort of trained by Everton as a teenager. They signed him as a fifteen-year-old. Um, he broke into their first team, and then did he transfer directly to Liverpool? I can't remember. David yeah, so he, yeah, he, he signed for Liverpool from Everton. Yeah, I think it was eighty-two. It was yeah. So he was yeah up and coming, not really like massively. But he was only there from I think it was like sixty-nine, seventy-two. He wasn't there very long. But he, um, yeah, so he was up and coming player, and he was trying to force his way into the side. And then, as you say, the the, the chance came from the cop after the transfer thing. And thank you very much for David Johnson. And yeah, that's the type of thing that I think should happen. You know, like you know, singing like football related songs, and that that is funny. You should want you should want to beat the other team five 0 when you play them. You should laugh at them when you're beating them five 0 But mm-hmm. if anyone else comes and beats them five 0 it should be a bit of no, no, you don't do that. This is our this is our city. We're together. Do you know what I mean? It should be. As a Liverpool fans, you should want to win. I'm not saying you, you have to necessarily want Everton to come second, but I don't. The rivalry shouldn't be like it is. You should hate, focus your hate on Man United and Man City. They're from the other <laughs> city. Don't want to. Um, doesn't have to be that. But yeah, to say, yeah, there are funny moments, and that's what it should be remembered. I think there's a uh, Dave Hickson again. He got clapped off by both sides when um, he played Liverpool. It was against Villa, but still, that showed the respect he had amongst former clubs that he played for. And that's it should be respect. It should be humour. You should want to beat them, but it shouldn't be as as, hate, as hateful as we see today. Really, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's there's always been a line that that you that people cross in, you know, um, or you know, I don't know stupid people or people who are too drunk to understand the consequences of their actions or, or whatever you know so there is a line where people actually cross into like actual hatred and, and commit harm on people and it's a real minority and it taints the rest of the football fans and it, and it's 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 really sick i mean you know but uh, hopefully people can learn and they can you know that it's it's only a game it's only a game um but, you know, it's a game that is important to so many people. And what I loved was the foreword by Rafa Benitez. How did you get Rafa to do a foreword? Um, persistence. I think it's <laughs> just the word, yeah. I um, found his address from one way or another and then just kept knocking on his front door. Got, got friendly with one of his maids. No way. <laughs> and then, yeah, really? just, just had to pass a few handwritten notes over and then... <laughs> He wrote his foreword in Spanish and then had to get a translator to translate it to me, which I thought was was strange. Because obviously, you saw him on Sky Sports the other day doing the Liverpool Newcastle match, and he definitely can speak English. So it was um, it was strange that he did that, but he just wanted to be sure the word and was right. But mm. but yeah, obviously that, that was a, a big thrill for for me just to get someone like that who was interested in doing the book. And obviously for him, it's quite a touchy subject because I think there's a lot of Everton fans who weren't happy with him. At, arrive and and certainly weren't happy when with him when he left i think there was a lot the vast majority backed him when he first came and that is admirable something you've got to do and that you know if the rivalry was so bad they would have been booing him every single match no matter what the result was they did back him so it shows that that there is still a bit of <laughs> amicable behavior between the clubs but for him obviously you know what his reputation is and then his forwards, it, it went got spread quite widely before the derby, and yeah, it was his comments saying basically he doesn't have a favourite between Liverpool and Everton, which was interesting to hear. But a lot of people said, "Oh, he was just being, just trying to be diplomatic and didn't want to pick a side." But I don't, I don't think no matter what Rafa says, he's going to win a lot of Everton fans over. I think I genuinely think he does believe that. He looked at both clubs very professionally. He obviously loves Liverpool, the city, and that's why he's never left the area. He's still at the same house from when he was Liverpool manager. And that's even when he's been managing in Italy and China and in Spain. He's, he's always had that as his hub. But I think for him, it, it is a professional thing that like he didn't see. He was betraying Liverpool fans. He, he understood that some Everton fans were on a back foot with him and he had a bit more convincing to do when he first got in. But I don't think he genuinely does think that he's, he's upset Liverpool fans by making a professional decision to stay in his city. And again, that's something that... I'm not sure if you think 34 players is a lot or not a lot of people who have played for both clubs. I think it's quite a small number, really, over 130 years when you consider that you don't have to move your family away, you don't have to take your kids out of school. You'd think that seeing as both these clubs have been in the top division for the vast majority of their histories, 
that transfers between both teams would happen a lot more often. Like I, I've said before, I think maybe like an Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, you'd think now he'd be looking to, why don't I just move to Everton? I can stay exactly where I am, stay in the same house and probably be a Premier League football. Obviously, I don't want to go too much into what's going on to today. It could, could go wrong for Everton very quickly. But you know what I mean? Just going even back like 10 years when they're challenging for Europa League football, you'd think there'd be a lot more transfers between clubs. But again, it's odd that it's just so few, even when they were amicable and were getting along. There are so few people that play for both both red and blue. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I loved, I loved um, you know, Rafa Benitez. I mean, that, that, that quote... He says, I can't say I'm more Liverpool or Everton today. So, of course, people jumped on that. But the but the next sentence is, I think he is trying to be diplomatic because he says afterwards, he says, logically, in six years, there were a lot of highs at Liverpool, but I still have good friends amongst the Everton fans. And I think there's a, there's a part of Rafa that is always very logical and very sort of, you know, people called him cold, but it's just about being rational and being... You know, he's he's a football man, isn't he, Rafa? He loves football. He loves the passion. That's one thing he talks about in the first paragraph is that, you know, that, that football is in the blood of the people of Merseyside. It's part of their life and it's part of the day-to-day of many people. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, he goes on to say, um, you know, he couldn't pick an all-time Merseyside 11 either. Um you know, he doesn't want to want upset people. And I think it's true that he does have friends among Everton fans and he could, you know, even though his time at Everton went badly uh, for, for his high standards and, um, you know, he was on a hiding to nothing anyway, wasn't he? But uh, anyway, he also goes on to say, uh, but Rafa's favourite Merseyside derby goal is Luis Garcia's goal at Anfield in 2006 when we were down to 10 men. Uh, and the fact that he used we, <laughs> it's like, okay. I mean, at the time, yes, okay, at the time, yeah, he was the manager of Liverpool. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I think uh, he just ends it directly and, and quickly there. But I love the way you got that from basically chucking handwritten notes over his garden fence. I think that's absolutely excellent. Um, so, yeah, yeah, I mean... I don't know if I should pass that on. I don't think that's something he wants to encourage. So, maybe keep that quiet. Yeah, Yes, please don't. He's a good <laughs> lad. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a couple more questions, really. I mean, before... I do want to talk about David Johnson. Um, but before that, I'd like to talk about... I don't know. There were so many stories that I really enjoyed. Even the Everton stories, like Fred Geary, you know, Everton legends. I enjoyed reading about them. But if I give you, for example, a list of players who our listeners might not be um, too uh, aware of, and you can just choose one and tell us a little bit about them uh, and what you learned from the book. Um, Harold Uren. This is the period from 1900 to the Second World War. Harold Uren, Tom Gracie, Bill Lacey, Frank Mitchell, or Dick Forshaw. Which one would you choose to tell us a little bit about? Yeah, well, I think that, that Harold, I think it's Uren. Uren, I have, okay. I have no idea. I was convinced that it just looked like the maddest name ever, U-R-E-N. But <laughs> yeah, his, his, his story was, was obviously interesting just because he, he was part of the, the triple transfer, which again... Imagine that today, you're swapping one player for two from the other club. It just, that maybe the column inches that have been spent on Conor Cody going indirectly between clubs after just being a youth player, basically. Well, imagine the furore that would be around a three way transfer between both clubs. But that's what it was. And it was, yeah, obviously, Harold Duren was pretty much an underperformer. I think him and Tom Gracie really didn't, didn't achieve much in their career, but obviously other than the fact that they were involved in this big, massive deal. And that leads on to Bill Lacey, who was also part of it, who went from Everton to Liverpool. And he was a real stalwart of the of the club. He was there for the, the, the untouchables period, as we mentioned, I mentioned in the book, where they won the league twice in the 20s. And yeah, again, that was just, just really going into that, seeing the negotiations between the clubs and seeing how it worked. Because having the minutes from all these these things just makes it even more interesting, in my opinion, that... Um, you can get the real insight into what both clubs were, were trying to negotiate for. And you can see that even then, they're still helping each other because they don't have to do two players for one and they were trying to get money and they're swapping for another player. But yeah, I thought that story as a whole is just interesting. Obviously, it's told over three players. So hopefully he didn't get bored of hearing triple transfer by the end of the third chapter of, of reading about that. But 
yeah, I thought that was something really interesting, just and what he went on to achieve afterwards. And then he's still got a there's still a, a company on the world today named after Harold Jiren. And he became such like a tycoon in in, um, in business. And when he was passing away, he had like he had the whole football in Wales and Merseyside and all the business world from queuing outside of his door to say goodbye to him, which I think you know. There aren't, there aren't many great ways to pass away, but I think when you've got that respect of so many people that they're literally queuing up at your house to to say thanks to you, and that shows the type of man he was. And Tom Gracie dies young, and Bill Lacey for the rest of his life has a picture of, again, the names are very similar, which also doesn't help, but Lacey's got a picture of Gracie for the rest of his, the rest of his life, and that's just his mate from when they were playing footy together, because obviously they went through this very similar transfer, and that, again, just shows the connection they had, and I think another one that you mentioned there, Dick Forshaw, he was someone really interesting to write about just because of what he did after football. I think when I was looking at his career, I thought, I mean, he's obviously a great footballer. He, he again was part of the Liverpool size that won the back-to-back league titles in the 1920s. But it was what he did afterwards was just like, there was just like very brief sentences here and there. And you know, I was looking into it, like, why are they not going into it? And he basically became a petty theft, and uh, petty thief and <laughs> stole a load of money from a bookies and, ran away down south to open a chippy, got caught, and then every time he got out of prison, he was thrown straight back in. I think he was one time, it was six hours after he was released from prison, he was back in prison because he'd stole something again, and he used to love going to like, uh, train stations to steal suitcases, and he had a big, a big uh, what's it called, a big heist when he tried to steal loads of clothes from his shop, and by all accounts, he was terror. He was a lot better at football than he was at robbing things because he, he seemed to spend a lot of his, his later life in prison. But it's interesting how his records, certainly on the Liverpool side, makes him an early great, really. But the, there's no real mention of him after he retires. And I was just, I found that interesting. But then they basically just tried to wipe what he did afterwards out of history, which you can understand why because you can imagine, of course, it's so hard to judge. But say someone like Robbie Fowler. He then becomes a master criminal. That's going to ruin his records, definitely. Michael Owen did it by moving to United, never mind spending <laughs> time in prison. So, yeah, it was. there's a lot of interesting stories, hopefully, as you say. I think, yeah, that period of where you're hitting player after player. And then the people who passed away in, in World War Two, as much as it's, it's not like a good interesting, but it was just interesting to see, like, you're forgetting that these these lads who were playing footy again. You imagine anyone playing today, like you can imagine maybe a Seamus Coleman would be a good person to fight for you in a war. But you're seeing these people passing away and fighting in some of the biggest battles in World War Two, and yeah, it's just really sad. But what we saw, and I think um, Tom Gracie was one of them, where pretty much all of his family, obviously, it's one of them. I think Miss Sloan was it. One of his two of his brothers passed away as well. But yeah, it was um, yeah, just interesting stories from that period again. I think you might look at it and go. Uh, when these chapters are laid out uh, before the First World War, before the Second World War, I'll go to after the war time and just skip all them because that must be boring. But I think hopefully if you give that time, they're some of the most interesting stories. And then when you get on to people like David Johnson, you mentioned obviously more modern players. It's um, it's still interesting, but I think <laughs> hopefully I can, I'm allowed to say, but I think it's the ones you've had no idea who they are. You're coming in learning every step of their life as, as you hear it, and then they become the most interesting stories, I think. I agree. I agree. And that's that's why I would uh, I would recommend this to all of the listeners out there because it's uh, it's it's really interesting to, to read about these people as you know from a human perspective as much as anything and, and you know to put them in the in their sort of social context as well like the book does I think it's absolutely terrific. So um yeah about David Johnson I mean he because I want to talk about him because he was the the first person to record over a hundred pe- appearances for both clubs and as I said before he, he was around just before I started watching football which is around about in 1988 so obviously I've seen tons of highlights of him you know slapping one in from the edge of the box against Spurs wasn't it to make it three one um and uh, you know winning the championship all of that stuff um he had extraordinary success with Liverpool um uh, he had I've got the stats in front of me 213 matches for Liverpool 78 goals he won four league titles one league cup two European cups and a European Super Cup in that time and um, for Everton he had 105 matches with 20 goals and Everton honours none uh, but it's uh, I mean obviously he's very sadly missed because he, he passed away only in, in November but I just I just found that what he was talking about in the in the book 
um, you know, really, it sort of sums up the Merseyside attitude to football in general, right? He said, I'm from Liverpool, and I quote David Johnson, he says, I'm from Liverpool, Merseyside born and bred. And if you come from it, this area, it's normal that dad or your brothers, it's normally dad or your brothers who determine who you support. My brothers took me to Anfield, that was my team, and my idol obviously was Bill Shankly. And I believed him when he stood on the steps and said, I'm going to make Liverpool into a bastion of invincibility. Um, but then when he talks about Everton, there is a warmth for Everton as well. He said they came in for me when I was at school and it just seemed to happen. I was still at school and I suppose it happened at a time when I was wondering how I was going to break into professional football. Everton were throwing youngsters into their side and I reckoned I must be in with a chance. As it turned out, it was a good move, too, because I got into their first team and did fairly well. So, I mean, you know, you can see the warmth he has for both sides, you know, in, in his, uh, you know, maybe although the, uh, you know, Liverpool fans will always remember him as one of their own. And, uh, you know, 6.5 out of 10 uh, was his rating from Everton FC, because in, in, in what's brilliant in this book, I love is you've got the uh, the ratings out of 10 for, as to whether these players were traitors. And maybe I'll, um, Everton said, you know, 6.5 out of 10 and his traitor rating, um, which is very funny. And I'll ask you about that at a moment. But I just want to get your opinion on David Johnson for having played, you know, over 100 matches for both teams. I mean, for you, I mean, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of David Johnson's story? Yeah, well, again, it was another interesting one, and hopefully, um, glad you agree. And obviously, it was sad that he passed away. It was literally two months to the day before he passed away. It was the last time I spoke to him, and I only spoke very, very briefly with him. Obviously, but he said, oh, "I'm not very well at the moment. Sorry, I can't help. Best of luck with everything." That's literally all I got. But even from that, you can I can hear he wasn't well, but also you can just see like he did want to help, but he had more than enough reason there not not to be able to speak to me. But thankfully, a lot of the people from after the war time, the, the the fact that they played for both clubs was, was something that was of interest to a lot of people in a lot of interviews that they did. So there was a lot of source material to use. And as you say, I got a lot of the, those interviews there that I shared from within. Yeah, but but yet, yeah, as you say, he was he realised that there was more chance for him to get in the Everton side. And when any kids playing football, if you're offered the chance to play professional football within your own city in the first division, you'd be stupid to turn it down. And that's obviously what he's done. He's been offered Everton. And it probably worked out better for him because he got more, he got access to more football than he probably would have done at Liverpool at the time. And now he says there, as you, as you picked up, his idol was Bill Shankly. And Bill Shankly idolised him when he was playing at Everton too. He, he realised he was a good player and ha having that platform to to shine meant that he could go on to have a really good Liverpool career. And he was, um, obviously, the, the goal scoring feats he had, he was just, I think he would have played in a lot of other eras for Liverpool. He'd have been the main man and, there would have been posted with I'm not saying there wasn't he wasn't a hero but he would have been held in a lot higher regard it's just that he was playing alongside the likes of, of Ian Rush and Kenny Dalglish and you know we, there's a good few seasons where Liverpool are dominating Europe and dominating England and he's the top goal scorer for the club and I think that shows a lot of how good he was and yeah some of the great moments and again I think there was the, the commentary from John Watson I think when he, he scores which again is obviously poignant after him passing away this week as well but yeah, it was just, it was, I'd obviously written it all and he passed away after the, the book was finished. So I went back through it. I thought it wasn't fair to change my outlook because there was a couple of things where I thought I could be a bit nicer here or I could say something about it. That wasn't fair. Like, it's still the same story. Sadly, the, the ending changed, but it was it was just going back through it again just after he passed away. And I was, I was toying with, do I like, put some of this out or what's the best thing to do? But yeah, it was just for him, he obviously really cared about both clubs, which, as he said there, he grew up. A Liverpool fans standing on the cop and I think Everton fans on the whole there's, there's a bit of a touch on where as you say from the the traitor ratings that I got when I was speaking to Everton fans one of them like spat on the floor but like jokingly when I was speaking to an Everton fan saying oh, we don't want to talk about him he's he's a he's a big traitor he was terrible for us he only played well for Liverpool and that's the regard that he, he was held in I'm sure it'd be a bit nicer now that he's passed away and it's totally different and that's fine but that is how he was held by some of the Everton fans that I spoke to which I think is important to note because they seem to feel like they got the raw deal of it. He was quite good coming up as an Everton player and he was nowhere near as good when he came back to the club and he had the peak at Liverpool. And that's that's what happened. That's a fact. And I'm sure he'd accept that too. But 
at his funeral, he had two hairs, one Liverpool, one Everton. He went past Goodison, went past Anfield. For anyone who's a Liverpool fan listening to this growing up as a Liverpool fan and playing for Liverpool, to, to have that relationship with Everton fans after playing with them twice but still holding Everton as that high regard shows how much the club meant to him as well, which I think is telling to the type of person he obviously was. And yeah, I think for him, not just a great footballer, but obviously he seemed like a, a fantastic man as well. And yeah, he, he a true Merseyside great from, as you say, the first player to play over 100 games for both clubs, which I think says a lot about how how much he should be respected. And I think after he passed away, I think he, he certainly is respected by by both clubs. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, how did you get those traitor ratings? Um, <laughs> out of ten, you you asked fans from both clubs, what what would you what would you score this player in terms of a traitor? What? Yeah, so just a few match days I went with me, me missus and me dad. <laughs> um, few match days before see obviously me and my dad go to all the pool matches so my missus had to come with us and she drove them back <laughs> back home for us when i went to the match but yeah i'd literally just go off to people in the pubs and just say just if you got 10 minutes just talk to you quickly about the people who play for both teams and it should be simple like do you, have you heard of this player which i've got a remembered percentage should be and then just say yes or no and i'll tell you how many what percentage of people had heard of him and then if he'd only ever played for your club, just out of 10, how much of a club legend is he? And then they give him a number. And then if he went, say, I was speaking to Liverpool fans, he went to Everton next and say, how much do you consider him a traitor for leaving the club? One being not at all, 10 being a massive traitor. And yeah, it was just interesting because obviously asking stuff like that, it like evoked memories of people and they'd go, oh yeah, I remember them doing this. And then that would help. And obviously that then helps with the book because I'm, I'm 28. I haven't seen a lot of these players play football. So it was good just to listen to stories to come to people's minds straight away and obviously then you can bring them up in the book but yeah I got um there's a few people who are like oh, i just think anyone who's played for everton after playing for liverpool is a 10 out of 10 traitor and then other people <laughs> who went well i they're not a traitor at all it's a professional decision they're all one out of ten so you know, there was a couple of people like that and then others who viewed them on a case-by-case basis and they're all valid opinions that's why i was just trying to just share what the man on the street thinks really that's what i was i was trying to do and the match going reds match going blues what do they think of these players? How well remembered are they? And but yeah, I think it just it adds a little bit something different into the start of the chapter, and it gave me a few little quotes. Some I couldn't really use, <laughs> but some <laughs> I was uh, I was able to share. I think that David Johnson one was one of them where he was he was joking the Everton family pretend to spit on the floor and walk away from me because I just said the words David Johnson and never <laughs> asked him a question. But but yeah, I think hopefully that adds something a little bit different in there as well. Excellent stuff. And uh, well, I've just got one uh, one final question, but it's 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 sort of related to um, well, actually, before asking the question, I just want to I just want to you know my favourite um quote in the book was from was from a match report that um from david johnson's first um merseyside derby when he lined up as part of a struggling everton team in november 1971 as it says in the book the derby was described in the guardian as a donkey derby derby with this beautiful description that they said the stubbornness of both teams in continuing to treat the ball as though it were impregnated with bubonic plague was the main factor in making the game the mediocre spectacle it was, which is a beautiful, a beautiful sentence. And I think all football writers, your Barney Rones at the Guardian, need to take take heed of how when when people used to express themselves with more creativity. Um so and but it reminded me of the game last night against Crystal Palace, treating the ball as if as though it were impregnated with bubonic plague. Absolutely beautiful, um, and it, it makes me think about this season's form. Obviously, things aren't going too well for Liverpool. Uh, we all know that, but uh, you know we'll stay patient and see what happens in the future. For Everton, on the other hand, my final question for you is: if they do go down, would you take any of their players? Oh, one. Well, I have I've tried to think like who the next one could be. The other guy is obviously a, a good question to ask at the end. And um, I think their best player is uh, Calvert Lewin. I think he's someone who could be a good plan B, but he's just so unreliable in terms of fitness. To I don't know if he would work, but for for what he can offer to a side, obviously if you put the ball in the box, I think he could work. Obviously, if you're telling me to pick from their squad, there's the likes of Onana who would be good and Idrissa Gay, I think would also be someone useful to have in the middle of the park. But 
I think yeah, if you're picking that someone who can maybe change the game, if you're going to get them, then yeah, I think I think he could be one. But as I say, it's it's not something I see likely to happen. But if, if you're asking me, but then yeah, there's, there was calls to get Connor Cody back a few years ago, wasn't there? Saying he could be a good fourth choice, and again, that might even upset Everton fans even more if he then makes the switch back to Liverpool. But yeah, there's there's a few players, but I think if I had to if I had to pick one, I'd probably say Calvert Lewin as an option off the bench if we want to see a, a Firmino go in the future. But there are there are there's still plenty of eagle players in that Everton side, and I don't think they are going to go down. If I'm being honest, but yeah, if you put it on me, that's what I'd say. And you could handle his fashion sense, Dominic Calvert Lewin. Yeah, you know, that's fine. Yeah, nobody rep- representing the Liverpool. It's fine. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah, it's a new branch in the in the club shop for that. Then that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, good. Fair, yeah. fair play. I agree with you. You know, fair play to him. He can dress however he likes. Um, it's just you know sometimes I I I sort of snicker like a child when I look at some of the outfits, but that's just my prejudice against uh you know um I don't know whatever. Um, thank <laughs> thank you very much, Peter. It's been an absolute pleasure. So where can people find the book Crossing the Park? Yeah, so yeah, crossing the park, the men who dared to play for both Liverpool and Everton um, should be at all good retailers. I think it's the line you say. <laughs> it's best for me if you go on my website, if that's okay. Obviously, a lot of people take big cuts. <laughs> you don't make a lot of money from writing books, which isn't why I do it, but it'd be nicer to me more than nothing. Um, if you just go on my Twitter or Instagram, whatever, it's at Peter Kenny Jones, all one word. There's links all on there if you get off my website there's also like you can get alternative covers so you can just get a solely Liverpool or a solely Everton cover if, if you're that way inclined of not wanting to see the other team on the front of the book there's also um, I've got I've got like a playing cards of each player so there's a picture of them which I think just helps bring it to life a bit more and I've got all those player ratings and traitor ratings and then the stats for each club and um, yeah that's all on there but obviously again there's also Amazon Waterstone stuff like that and I've got a um, Got a book launch coming up, which is in Hotel Anfield. So the book's out on the 24th of April, and that's on the 28th of Friday. Is We've got the, the book launch where Steve McMahon and Kevin Sheedy are going to be there, obviously talking about playing for both clubs, which I think is something they definitely don't do often because they've both got a family, got defeated in the Liverpool or Everton camp, which is something I was trying to do, get someone who's deemed a Liverpool player or an Everton player and let them talk about the other side. So... Yeah, they're both going to be sharing the memories. I've got like a local singer on, got a got like a host for the night who's going to be doing stuff. Got a charity, it's also raise money for fan support and food banks. So if you come down to that, obviously you get the book signed, you can meet two former players and hopefully raise a bit of money as well. But yeah, whatever way you want to do it, if you just buy a copy of the book, that'd be great for me. And yeah, um, hope you all enjoy it. Wonderful stuff. I'll put all the links in the description uh, so you can just check that out right now um you know uh so thank you very much to all of the listeners who have been with us um you know it's been really good fun talking to peter it's it's such a great book it really is so congratulations for it and uh thank you very much for being being such a lovely guest oh thanks i would like lovely to be on again and yeah nice to see you again and glad you liked it thanks for your kind words and i'll be sharing your review which fortunately was really uh, was positive so yeah thank you very much Uh, i really appreciate it super stuff uh thank you very much